Well, good morning again. I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. If you're using that Bible under the seat in front of you, you'll find it on page 1117. Matthew chapter 6. Lord, as always, we want to thank you for your wonderful word and how you give us words of life, eternal life. And yet you also speak to us in such practical ways, in the practical details of life. And you're concerned about those things. We're grateful for it and we want to bless you and please you in the practical things of life. I pray that you'd speak to us in a wonderful way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're turning another corner in the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 5, King Jesus gives us standards for righteous living that he expects of us. At the beginning of this chapter, chapter 6, Jesus gives us kingdom disciplines to practice and how to practice them. Fasting, prayer, charitable giving. Now we come to a section that's very important to each and every one of us every day. This is where we live concerning money, wealth, materialism, career, job, paying the bills, savings, all of those kinds of practical things in life. And those are very important to us. That's so a very big part of life. Unfortunately, many Christians think of those things as the secular side of life. You know, you have the Christian side of life. Sunday mornings at church, church activity, and then you have the secular side. That's weekday life. Monday through Friday, nine to five, business, all of that. And I fear that many Christians seal those sides of life into separate watertight compartments. And you shouldn't. Everything in our life as Christians should be Christian. There's no such thing as secular for us. And every aspect of life needs to be in submission to our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus cares about these things. Jesus wants you to succeed in these practical everyday details. So look what Jesus teaches us about wealth in our text this morning. In verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. There are a couple of principles that I want you to see concerning wealth, according to Jesus. And the first principle is very clear in this text. As Christians, as people of God, we are to worship and serve God not money. We are to live for God, not money, not earthly riches. Verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So Jesus says there are two masters that you can have in life. In this practical area of your life. One master is called mammon. That's the Aramaic word for wealth, money, property, materialistic gain. You could think of mammon as the god of materialism. In fact, mammon actually can be traced back to an ancient Chaldean demonic money god. So you have mammon... And then you have God. And if you're a Christian, God's your heavenly father. Mammon or your heavenly father. And Jesus says you can only choose one. You cannot worship and serve both. Jesus uses the master-slave relationship. In those days, if you were a slave, you belonged to one master. You had to be available to that one master 24-7. You couldn't have two owners. It's not like us working two jobs, right? Jesus said you can only have one master. You can't serve both. Jesus said one will take priority. You either begin loving one and hating the other, or being loyal to one and despise the other. Jesus is obviously telling us that if we are born again Christians, then your heavenly father, God, is to be way, 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 way more important in your life than money. Way more important. You're to serve him. One author writes, Christ will put up with a great many things in the human heart, but there's one thing he never tolerates, and that's second place. In Isaiah 42, the Lord says, I am the Lord, that is my name and my glory, I will not give to another. So Christian, God is to be your number one, your master. Now, I know there are a lot of Christians who try to serve both. They think, well, I can serve God on Sunday and serve money during the weekday and carpet, carpet, you know, put those things into compartments. 
Some think, well, I can serve God with half my being and mammon with the other half of my being. You can't. It won't happen. Somebody will win out. And be careful of some of the subtle little things that we can do as Christians. Some Christians think that they can serve money for God. The idea is, I'm going to do everything I can to make as much money as possible. I'm going to amass for myself piles of cash, get super rich and wealthy, and then once I'm rich, I'll serve God. Then when I've retired and, you know, my life is at ease. Now, it, it, it's all about heart. It has nothing to do with your economic situation in life. If you don't serve God while poor or maybe struggling or working your way up, you're not going to serve God when you're rich. It's all a matter of heart. Who's number one in your life? Some Christians think, well, I'll serve God for money. Boy, is that an inaccurate way to think. And yet a lot of people, they play this game. You know, if I do all these things for God and, you know, really live the right way, then God's going to make me rich. Some people even will become ministers in order to make money. Now, you shouldn't do that. Um, you can be bought off. He that serves God for money will serve the devil for better wages. The best way to think of this concept, and I like how Robert E. Spear put it, he said, we cannot serve God in mammon, but we can serve God with mammon. And that would be the best way to think about it. If you're a Christian, your heavenly father is number one in your life, and you serve him with everything in your life, your time, your career, uh, everything that God has given you. So we, it's, it's important that we as Christians understand that everything we have has been given to us from God. He's given it to us, and we're to be stewards of it. And we're to use all those things... In serving him. Money should serve you in your service of God. That should be the difference. So this is a very important principle. As Christians, we got to, you know, make that line in the sand and decide who's going to be number one. Your heavenly father or earthly riches. And by the way, I think that we should renew that commitment daily, don't you? Because it's really easy to get off track. Okay, second principle when it comes to wealth according to Jesus. Jesus commands us to invest in heaven. Not in earthly things. Jesus says that we should use our lives to build Wealth in heaven, not on the earth. Verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, 
But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Look at the prohibition first in verse 19. It's very strong. It's imperative in the Greek. This is the strongest command that you can find in the Greek language. Do not lay up treasures upon the earth. Do not do that, Jesus says. Do not spend your life amassing earthly treasures for yourself. Now, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean that we're not allowed to own property? Does that mean that we're not to consider about saving for the future and retirement and investing? Does that mean that we're not to really take serious our responsibility to provide for our families, to make a nice living? Does that mean we need to live in, prop, in uh, poverty? Should we all take a vow of poverty here this morning? Of course not. Of course not. Nowhere in Scripture is private property forbidden. Nowhere. It's not wrong to have property. Furthermore, Scripture encourages us not to despise, but rather to enjoy the good things which the Lord has given us richly to joy. There's nothing wrong with enjoying things in this world. Saving for a rainy day is not forbidden for Christians. In fact, it's encouraged. The parable of the ant in Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Ants save. If you don't save, you're, you're, the ants are smarter than you. You should save. We are absolutely commanded in Scripture to be hard workers, to be good at what we do in order to provide for our families. In fact, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. What is Jesus forbidding here then? It's not taking care of needs and earning a decent living. It's going overboard. Jesus is forbidding the selfish accumulation of earthly wealth. He is forbidding this obsession in life for you to amass this giant treasure trove of earthly wealth. It's the foolish fantasy that a person's life consists in the abundance of his possessions. The obsession with extravagant, luxurious living. That silly thing where people who die with the most toys win. And you're going to spend your whole life amassing wealth for yourself. Jesus says, 
Don't live life like that. And Jesus goes further. He says, it's silly to do that. That, It's a terrible investment. It's foolish. You spend your whole life for that. You can't take it with you. You cannot take any earthly treasure with you when you leave. Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. Once you die, all the earthly treasure is gone. The old Spanish proverb says, there are no pockets in a shroud. You ever seen a hearse pulling along a U-Haul? I heard about an old miser who was dying. He was on his deathbed. He called his doctor, his lawyer, and minister to his bedside. They say you can't take it with you, the dying man said, but I'm going to try. I have three envelopes with $30,000 cash in each one. I want each of you to take an envelope, and when they lower my casket, throw in the envelopes. So these guys took the envelopes. This guy died. They went to his service, and they each threw in an envelope. But on the way home, they were driving home together. The minister confessed, I needed the money for church, so I took out 10000 and dropped 20000 in. The doctor said, I too must confess. I'm building a clinic. I took 20000 out, threw in only ten. The lawyer said, gentlemen, I'm ashamed of you. I threw in a personal check for the full amount. Those lawyers, right? (laughs) Dead men don't cash checks. Your treasure's gone. And Jesus says, by the way, if you invest in everything here right now, it's high risk. It's high risk. All earthly treasure wears out, loses its value. Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break out. In, in those days, a, a wealthy man was very, they would show off their you know, extravagant garments that they would wear. And Jesus said, yeah, you got your garment, but the moths are going to eat it. Rust is a word that means to eat into. And so the wealthy in those days, they'd have their big silos with all their grain. Jesus said, the worms and the rats and the vermin are going to get to that. They didn't have banks and safety deposit boxes back then. They'd bury their precious metals inside their houses And the thieves, they could just literally, it says, dig in. They could dig through the walls, take it. Same thing for us. Earthly treasure here is high risk. And it does lose its value. You know, how fast does that new car lose its new car smell? Quickly, doesn't it? All the different things that we put our trust in. Jesus says it's a foolish investment. I heard about a pastor who took his seven-year-old daughter on a very unusual date. They visited the town dump. 
Backing his Oldsmobile up against the mound of refuse, he placed his daughter on the roof, and with pencil and paper, they began listing all the items they could identify. There was a plastic swimming pool, a barbecue, several old lawn chairs. There were Barbie dolls, bicycle frames, skateboards, play refrigerators, stoves, radios, televisions, everything that a young girl dreams of. Returning home, they pulled alongside a double trailer truck, piled high with hunks of scrap, cars that had been crushed. He leaned over to his daughter and reminded her that the beautiful car they were riding in would someday end up in a scrap heap just like that. He later wrote, that was a day Kristen and I will never forget. It was a powerful reminder that someday everything we own will be junk. In city dumps, the things that have captivated our attention and dominated our lives will smolder beneath the simmering flame amidst stinking mounds of rotting garbage. We're told in Second Peter that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. All of it. Jesus says, don't put all of your attention into that. Instead, Jesus says in verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And that's very strong. It's the imperative. It's the Greek. Do this. Do this. Hoard up for yourself treasures in heaven. Treasure up for yourself treasures in heaven. Now, how do we lay up treasures in heaven? Well, it's investing in people, folks. It's caring about other people. It's concerned that other people hear the gospel and get saved. It's living your life being a witness for Jesus Christ. It is financially supporting God's work, but it's way more than that. Way more. If you're a Christian, you take everything that's about you and use it in service. Everything's about expanding his kingdom. Jesus said, that's the best investment. When you put treasure in heaven, the moth doesn't touch it. The rust doesn't touch it. The thieves don't get it. Financial advisors love to tell us about minimizing risk and maximizing profit. When you build wealth in heaven, not only do you minimize risk, you eliminate it. And the profit is even greater than you could possibly imagine. What reward on earth could possibly compare to the rewards in heaven? I ask you. Use everything that, the God, that God has given you for him. Put all of your effort and passion into that. Godfrey Wynn 
tells of a man who was the greatest plastic surgeon in Britain. During the war, he gave up a private practice which brought him in thousands of pounds a year to devote all his time to remolding the faces and the bodies of airmen who had been burned and mutilated in battle free of charge. Man, that's putting treasure ahead. That's using your skill, your life, your compassion to help others. In the middle of the 18th century, a young businessman was accumulating riches rapidly. And he said to Stephen Paxton, who had known only poverty through the years, come with me and we'll make a fortune together. Paxton declined. The offer, for God had placed upon his heart the great need of Sunday schools in the thinly populated rural sections of our country. You're a fool to turn this offer down. Other people derided him, calling him a crackpot and a religious fanatic. But Stephen did his thing. Years passed, one day he met the man who had made him the business offer, and the man said, you wouldn't come with me, now I'm worth $50,000, big sum back then. And you and your family still live in a covered wagon. Paxton didn't say anything, just kept busy doing what God had called him to do. They're both dead now. Their time here on earth is over. That guy had $50,000 to his name. Woohoo! Stephen Paxson is known for starting over 1,300 Sunday schools in frontier rural America with a total attendance of about 83,000. He is known today as the apostle to children and possibly the single biggest influence in evangelizing the American frontier. Who's richer now? Gang, we are to figure out how to put treasure ahead. Make choices and decisions in life. Understand our motivations for why we're in certain careers and what we're going to do with what God has given us. I can't, as your pastor, tell you how to apply this to your life. I can't. I can't tell you how much is too much to have. That's up to you. And actually, it's really hard for us in America because in America, we are the richest people to have ever walked the face of the earth in all of human history. In America, it's hard to figure out the difference between what a real need is and a whim. How many needs do we have in America? At what point do you cross the line from earning a decent living in America to extravagant, over-the-top, luxurious living? I can't decide that. That should be between you and your Lord. You make those decisions. What is God calling you to do? 
And by the way, don't let anybody else judge you on what you decide. And don't judge anybody else on what they decide. But my brother and sister in Christ, it's an important thing to consider. If you are consumed with earthly things, then something's wrong. If you have so much in this life that it tethers you to the earth, something's wrong. If possessions own you rather than you owning possessions, something's wrong. Think through it. I love what one Christian author said. He said, the, Christian we should ask, the question we should ask ourselves about our present pursuits is, how important will they be 100 million trillion years from now? How important will our wallpaper be? How important will our promotion be? How important will our fame be? And what do we get so caught up in? If you have this mindset that I'm going to live for God and I'm going to build wealth in his kingdom, you're going to be rewarded greatly in the next life. But you're also going to stay on track in this life. You're going to be blessed here. In verse 21, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Heart in the Greek, your whole being. The idea is Jesus says, Where you invest, that's where your whole heart goes. Your whole being follows after what you invest in. So it's very important in what you invest in. Pretty easy to understand. If you go to the horse races and you put a thousand of dollars on one horse, which horse has your heart? Are you cheering the other horses on? Now you put it all on, my heart's with that horse. Or if you're in the stock market, which stocks do you look at? Which are the ones that you track? The ones that you've put money into, perhaps? There's this connection. If you live your life investing in everything here in this earth, that's where you're at. That's where you'll live. And you'll be so disappointed when this short life is over. If you put your effort into things of the Lord, if you really consider that to be a big thing and you're investing in him and his work, your heart's going to be right. It's going to be in the right place. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Paul says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And how do you set your things, your mind on things above? You invest in those things. You give to those things. 
Jesus also uses the example of eyes, this little parable about the eye in verse 22. He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So it's a little, it's a little picture. Your eyeballs are lamps. Or the better way to think of it, your eyeballs are like little windows. And if you have good, healthy eyeballs, light comes in unhindered and fills your whole body with light. Now, if you've got bad, unhealthy eyes, it's like you've got these dirty windows, cloudy windows. And you don't shine as much as you could. I think what Jesus is saying, if you will follow me and live your life to build wealth for my kingdom, you'll have good vision. And your whole life will be filled with light. You'll shine like you should. If as a Christian you live for only these things in this world and your vision gets all clouded and it all becomes about here... You won't shine like you could. In fact, you'll be darker than you should. I think a Christian who knows what they should do, knows that they should shine and be about God's business, and then doesn't do it, not only do they don't shine, but they live in a darkness. It's sad. Let's. Consider these things, these important principles. This is Jesus telling us how to succeed. Now, both of these principles, you serve God, not money. You want to live your life building wealth in heaven, not on earth. Both of those things hinge upon the brevity of life compared to eternal life. The Bible says this life is really short, super short. In fact, we're called pilgrims. The Bible says this life is a vapor. It's a puff of smoke. Here for a little bit, then gone. And the older we get, the more we know that. I promise you. Life is so short compared to all of eternity. Our home is not here. Our home is where? Heaven. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? Do you make decisions based on that? A prominent wealthy citizen in a town was dying. As he lay in his lovely home, the best doctors surrounding him, he whispered with a note of despair, I'm leaving home. I'm leaving home. Across town there lay a solitary figure in surroundings bare. Her modest home contained only the most threadbare of life's essentials. But in her eye was a gleam. Before she died, she was heard to say, I'm going home. I'm going home. My friend, where's home? Where's home? Where's home for you? 
God has blessed us so much, hasn't he? Again, living in America, we have so much. Are we hoarding that? Or are we using things to expand his kingdom? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how plain it is. I thank you for directing us. And I pray, Lord, that you would deal with each heart. You would deal with each heart. Lord, we need to give these things to you. And and I pray that if we're out of balance somewhere, you'd show it to us. Lord, it's so, so easy to be short-sighted, to be caught up here. This is where we live day by day and all the things that we do. But Lord, may we remember that you walk with us. You're with us in the day-to-day. And I pray that we would honor you in every detail of life. Lord, I thank you that you promised to take care of us here and now and forevermore. You're our Father and we trust you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, can I just ask some of you, where is home for you? Maybe you've been all caught up here. Maybe you've been chasing everything this world has to offer. And you're not satisfied. The things of this world won't satisfy you. In fact, a lot of times the things of this world will just add more trouble to your life. Only God can satisfy you. You were created to know your Heavenly Father. Have you asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? He died on the cross for you and rose again that third day. Our sin separates us from God. The only way we can be saved is to have our sins forgiven, and that's only possible through what Christ did. And he did that for you. And right now, if you've never done so, you can ask Christ to be your Lord and Savior and enter in to a relationship with God where heaven becomes your real home. I'd love to lead you in a prayer right now if you've never done that. If that's you, just write, it's just you And the Lord, in the quietness of your heart, say, Lord Jesus, I'm coming home. I want to belong to you fully and completely. I place my faith and my trust in you right now for salvation. I thank you for dying on the cross for me. Come into my life, save me, make me your child. 
and lead me. Use my life here for your glory. Use my life to make a difference for you. Amen.